I'm Laura Stasi, and this is Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. On this episode, stories of people embracing their true selves. I'm one of six kids, and when I was growing up, I had the reputation of being the problem child. You know, everybody's going along to get along, except for Laura. That stuck in my head decades later. So when my marriage got rocky, I was embarrassed and ashamed to tell my family, especially when my husband moved out because he said he needed time away from me. A few months after he left, I hosted my family Christmas party. There were about 25 of us, my kids, parents, siblings and their spouses, nieces and nephews, and all during this big, noisy, happy celebration, I tried really hard to keep it together and put a positive spin on my husband's absence. But toward the end of the evening, maybe after I'd had a little too much wine, I wandered over to my 90-year-old dad and sat down next to him. He asked me how I was doing and I burst into tears. I assured my dad that I was bending over backward. I was trying to do and be everything my husband wanted so he could be happy and come back. And my dad got kind of mad. He said, that's what he wants, Laura. What do you want? Wow, I was not expecting that. My dad knew I'm not the type of person to bury my concerns and emotions to try to make someone else happy. I thought he would urge me to keep compromising and sacrificing because marriage is important. And my dad had very traditional views. I assumed he'd tell me that marriage is supposed to last forever unless something really terrible is going on. And here my dad was basically saying that I should be thinking about myself and it was okay to be me. And if being me meant that my husband and I were actually a mismatch, then maybe we shouldn't be together. My husband did move back home nine months later, but you know the ending to this story. A couple of years later, we split permanently. It took me a while, but I'm good with it now. And maybe more important, I'm good with me. The Reverend Joni Peacock calls herself an extreme extrovert. When she was only 17, she married an extreme introvert. As they grew older, Joni says that other than their kids, they found they really didn't have anything in common. They were married for 28 years, and it was after they separated that Joni made a personal discovery. She celebrates her newfound sense of self, but that doesn't mean it's been easier to date. So the other (laughs) challenging thing to dating Joni Peacock is not only is she an Episcopal priest, which is a turnoff to a lot of people, I'm also uh, bipolar. There is this, um, you know, uh, psychologically correct way to talk about things. You know, so people say, I have bipolar disorder because it doesn't completely define you. Mm -hmm. But I prefer for myself to say I am bipolar because that's how I, that's how my brain works. And I am optimally bipolar. I think my brain is a gift. It just needs a little management. Um, But, um... I didn't know this. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 48 years old. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask. And at yes. this point, were you you were already a priest. Yes. Um, the, uh-huh. um, the math, were you divorced at this time or were you? Uh, I was separated. Separated. I was separated. And I was in a parish that um, 
uh, I was chief cook and bottle washer 24-7. I barely went home. I sang in my own choir. <laughs> to get the, it, was, it was craziness, and I was dealing with the relationship that was falling apart yeah. at the same time. So I basically crashed and burned and ended oh. up in a hospital. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as difficult as that was, um, because of all that, the fabulous person you see sitting here is a <laughs> product of that process. So, right. yeah. So having gotten married so young, I never lived on my own until I got divorced. And I love it. Okay. <laughs> I love having my own space, my own schedule, my own time, being master of my own domain. Yeah. So everything you see here is what I chose. The color, everything that's on the wall, you know, all the books, everything is me. This is my sacred space. Mm -hmm. And I am interested in maybe finding somebody who might like to try to keep up with me and enjoy my our joint lives. And right. then he goes home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't. So I, you don't want to be married, but that doesn't mean you don't want to be in a relationship. Is right. That, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I cherish my independence. I've read online, and it mm -hmm. sounds like you were um, on dating sites at one point. Yeah. What? So. Yeah. Did that take a lot of thought to actually do it, or was it? Did it just seem like the natural next step? Well, it seemed like that that's the way people meet people in the 21st century, right? And that's what um, my children have done or whatever. I actually had, I never had a single date from online doing dating? online dating. Really? Not a single one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think it's really difficult to... Um, to adequately convey mm -hmm. who you are by oh, a yeah. write-up and some pictures. Yeah. And so if I can't do it, maybe somebody else isn't doing a good no. job. No. Yeah. And that's and because it, it just like all social media, it lacks reality. It's not, in my business, we would call it incarnational. Mm -hmm. You know, in the flesh, you know, connection to real people in real time. So... Uh, basically, after giving up on that, I said, well, I, I want something to help me connect with real people. So the basically, the next thing I did was try like a matchmaker um, DC singles thing. Oh. I made this crazy investment. It was a six-man plan. Um, and the only good – well, so the good thing is about – I'm talking – so I know they're real, okay? Yeah. I know it's a real person. Well, the first guy, I meet him in DC at a Starbucks – and I'm like, you know, I'm a mess. You know, my 30-something-year-old my daughter is, like, coaching me, you know, what to wear. You know, I'm like a 16-year-old, you know. What do I wear? What do yeah. I do? So anyway, this guy's name was Glenn. And then in walks Glenn, and his jeans, I don't know how, when he last washed them. Aww. He had, like, a fisherman's hat on with all the hooks and things on it. <laughs> the way that he showed up, the mm. presented himself, like, right. I don't have to try. <laughs> you have to try. Right. But the guy doesn't have to try, um. you know. But personality was just sitting down. I thought, all right, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He could be fascinating. He's a retired environmentalist. And, mm. you know, he was sort of a bureaucratic environmentalist. And the, he 
barely got out of his neighborhood. He was one of the things he loved. Oh. He was retired. He loved that he could do everything in a five-mile radius. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm not looking for someone right. to sit on the couch with. Do you think that uh, you know kind of right off the bat if you want to give somebody a second chance? Or do you – was it him in particular? Do you know what I mean? No, well, and I yeah. think maybe – this is a product of um, being so long on my own, uh-huh. you know, that I just try to imagine going out the second time or the third time in my head, right. and how is this going to be better? You know, how is it uh-huh. going to get better? Uh-huh. And I, and the six men on the plan that they gave me, uh, it, it, I went out with all five of the six. Uh-huh. And um, for different reasons, um, I did not want to continue. I would think it might be difficult in that you are, so your religion, of course, is Mm. very important to you. It's personal and it's also professional. Right. Do you think that has... um, Sure. (laughs) Affected it? (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. It's a buzzkill, you know? It's a buzzkill. You're a priest. Oh, my God. First of all, what is that? That's something exotic. Right. You know, um, and two, the um, uh, assumptions people make, you know, because right. you're a priest. At first, like on the profiles and says, what is your profession? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm a writer. I am a writer. You know, I am a educator. Yeah, I am. I am. This is who I am and this is what I do and I love what I do. But I also, I'm entitled, I'm an Episcopal priest, okay? I am not a Catholic priest. So I, and I'm single. We allow divorce, right? Um, I'm entitled to a personal life. Mm -hmm. I didn't take a vow of celibacy. (laughs) Do you think it's more of a buzzkill than being bipolar? Well, the combination is just something awesome. (laughs) So, but there are two very important parts of me. And because I am, quote, unquote, out of my closet, I've been doing the very best work of my life mm. by being able to connect with people who uh, have struggled with something similar. I shouldn't have to apologize for who I am. I have to say, I admire Joni, not only for accepting herself, but wholeheartedly embracing who she is. And she won't settle for anyone with whom she can't be 100% authentically Joni. I checked in with Joni recently and found out that since we first spoke several months ago, she tried online dating again. And there's been a promising development. Here's what she said. We've gone out three times. Wow. All each to a different art gallery. Uh-huh. Um, the Sackler, the Phillips, and I can't remember the other one. National uh, Portrait Gallery. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, and these were all pre-quarantine days, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah these yeah. were all pre-quarantine. This is late January, uh, February, end through February, uh-huh. um, and just delightful. I mean, just uh-huh. and we had every intention of having a fourth. Actually. Yeah, um, because the third date went so well, you Aww. know. Uh, 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 strengthening a connection and um we both have an interest in like uh astrophysics so he brought me a, a, a dvd of a 
um, documentary uh-huh. about the um, Voyager um, uh-huh. spacecraft, uh-huh. which I, which was like, oh my God, you know me, you know how to, <laughs> to give me something like this. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. So we have continued um, to, to be in touch. Have you actually seen each other in person, but six feet apart, or are you doing other? No, 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 no. Um, So mostly we stayed in touch uh, through texting or just talking on the telephone. This is a little bit romantic. He he's an excellent photographer, like nature photographer, just amazing. And he he takes pictures of these beautiful flowers and things in the spring, and he sends them to me as if he's sending me flowers, which is sweet. Yeah, or like, because we're both into the astronomical thing, like the pink moon that was out the other night a week or so ago. And so we'll both Uh, go out from wherever we are and uh, look up at the moon. Yeah. So you feel like you can be yourself, uh, because I know that you feel um, as though your brain is a gift and it's giving you insight and done all these things. So you never felt like you had to hide that from him and you don't feel like... Yeah. And I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to be with anybody who I would hide that from. Yeah. That yeah. a person's not worth being with. Next, we meet someone who lived almost 60 years with a life altering secret. That's after the break. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Dating While Gray would not be possible without support from you, our listeners. That means we need you to go to wamu.org and click Donate. We're committed to making episodes for you and being here with you while we're all stuck at home. Show us your commitment. Head to wamu.org slash donate or click the link in the show notes. And thank you. Giselle is a journalist, a military affairs and defense analyst, and a research fellow at a conservative think tank. But before the age of 60, Giselle was living as a man named Tom with a wife and two kids. Only after divorce did Tom find the courage to live openly and honestly as Giselle. That was five years ago. Recently, I talked with Giselle about her journey, and we'll also hear from Giselle's second wife, Beth. Like so many trans people, I thought that having found somebody I really was passionate about, that I would be cured of mm. my desire. And it took a, quite a while for that to rear its head again. But uh, this was, you know, a long time ago. This was uh, early 1980s. I did not tell her about it. And it was sort of in my interest to, uh, you know, I was definitely the pursuer. So I I wanted to put my best foot forward, as you might say. I did sort of feel like, you know, sort of, thank you, that's over with. You were smitten with this woman as a man. And you thought, and part of you felt a little relief because you thought, okay, I... Now my trans desires will dissipate. Uh And they were, were they just desires when you were younger or did you ever act on them? Uh, Well, I certainly... um, 
uh, acted on them in the sense of dressing uh-huh. uh, and appearance. And she had no idea. No idea uh, for some time. But so th- in many ways, it was the inability to be honest about it uh, that was really the led over time to uh, the breakup of the marriage. You didn't think much about whether the marriage was going to last or not. You just thought, okay, the field... I love this woman. I What do I have to do in order to make yeah. her my bride? You know, I've heard a lot of people in older marriage, uh, older people in long-time marriages say, you know, the love is gone, the sex is non-existent, life is boringly predictable, but we're just going to soldier on because it would hurt too many people to get divorced or it would cost too much money to get divorced. Did you ever have those feelings? In the end, uh, or or near the end, yes. Uh, obviously, being parents takes up a lot of time and effort and gives you something in common that you share. Both of us wanted to be good parents uh, to our boys. So it really wasn't until after they'd grown and graduated school and yeah. begun their independent lives that um, it you know, we sort of began staring at the reality of what our relationship had had become. So it took a long time even to get to that point. Yeah. There it's, were other things to do besides be in love. Yeah. I, I'm struck with a sense of bravery for what you did. Would you consider what you did brave or would you consider it? Well, no, she ended the marriage. I, uh, I mean, again, I was uh, basically became unable to repress my desire to be a woman, live as a woman. I think it, at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. Right. And I've just been unbearably lucky ever since. And so if she had said that's okay with me, you would have soldiered on in that marriage even though it wasn't necessarily an emotionally fulfilling marriage. To be accepted for becoming the person that I would like to be mm-hmm. Uh, makes all the difference in the world. And to have essentially lied about this for so long introduced a sort of poison into the pool. It was a change of the basic compact, I think, from her point of view. I was not the person that she married um, or that I had pretended to be for her. So there was a falsity to it um, that I, you know, I sort of understand her uh, her predicament to a certain degree. Yeah. Hmm. So my my trans life up to that point had been entirely by myself and closeted almost exclusively. So I decided that, you know, since I didn't have to lie to my wife about what I was doing anymore, that I would, yeah. like, go out to some of the local meetup groups and so on and so forth and see what that was all about and what sort of... Made up specifically for... For trans people, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And the other treat uh, that I uh, gave to myself was to go get some makeup advice. Um, and that, since I was scanning the Craigslist ads, um, I saw a picture of a very saucy-looking woman who was offering makeup services uh, for trans people. Mm. And that turned out to be the Bethy. So Beth, 
I've been married to Giselle for just over two years and loved every minute, and life just gets better every week. I work with the transgender community, with transgender women, uh, as a makeup artist and photographer, and doing male-to-female transformations and general advice about whether it's transitioning, uh, going out socially, and uh, just exploring that part of their femininity. Uh, She had this sort of great over-the-shoulder, sideways glance picture that caught my eye, to be sure. And um, in addition to sort of uh, technical makeup help, um, I, I had questions about sort of what the, the group meeting was going to be like because I had never been to one of these before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a Saturday evening. Came over to Beth's place about five-ish in the afternoon uh, Beth also went to the event, and uh, we talked a little bit more, shared a couple of beers, and that was turned out to be the beginning of a fabulous relationship. What is it about Giselle that struck your fancy, as they say? So, sure, there's this think tank thing, but I had never really even heard of a think tank. I'd only been in Washington for, you know, three years, and that was all military. But I was really impressed that she'd been the editor-in-chief of the Army Times <laughs> because I read the Navy Times <laughs> in, in the military. You know, that was on the desk every Friday in the office my first four years when I was at nuclear power school as an instructor. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, so I was impressed by her intellectualism and by her profession. How long did you all date before you decided that? This was it. Uh, we dated for about three and a half years. Yeah, three or and so. half, I was going to say four. So it was not. It was by contrast to. It's my, my marriage. Yeah. This is my third marriage, and this is the longest I have ever dated someone. It's my shortest engagement, but uh, <laughs> we've been engaged for all of like two weeks or something before we got married. So um, we were neither of us lo- was looking to get married again, and if anything, we were gun shy about it. So we took our time. I have to say, it feels to me like you were lucky. Lucky in that, I mean, I've been divorced now for <laughs> five years. I, no, 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 yeah. I, no. <laughs> Luck doesn't begin to, uh, you know, as a, as a statistical proposition, this is almost zero probability of uh, occurring. So Connecting with somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And somebody who's clearly accepts you as you. Well, and even more than that, has sort of been a partner in getting me to the point where I was ready to transition, certainly through transition. It's beyond just support. It's way beyond tolerance. You know, it's... I am insanely happy, um, and I feel like I've now able to express a genuine love that I couldn't do before or didn't do before. But I also feel loved in a way that I have never felt before. Giselle's self-acceptance allowed her to find someone who loves her for exactly who she is, and that's made life all the better. I checked in with her recently. She said the COVID-19 lockdown hasn't been too disruptive. For her job, she writes from home a lot anyway. Beth's business has taken a hit, though. As Giselle told me, there's been as much continuity as disruption to day-to-day rhythms. We're just normal as hell and even started gardening together, graying in place. 
Next, we'll hear from someone who found a creative way to spice up a long-distance relationship while staying true to her artistic values. Are you following Dating While Gray on Facebook yet? I'm posting stuff to keep me going while working from home. You can get updates as soon as you log on to Facebook by searching for Dating While Gray and liking our page. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I've thought about that expression a lot recently. With COVID-19, these feel like desperate times. And I've been really strict about following the rules for physical distancing, even though that feels like desperate measures. But I wonder, if I had launched a relationship just before the lockdown, would I sneak out to be with that person? What else could I do to keep the spark alive? So I posted a poll on the Dating While Gray Facebook page about sexting. And I heard from Anne in Maryland. She's been dating someone long distance for about a year. Before COVID-19, they saw each other about once a month. One of the ways they stay connected is through naughty limericks. So I called her and asked her about it. We stumbled into the limericks because he's part of a sailing group and they had a little competition for writing the best limerick in their sailing group. And then he and I enjoyed playing with that together, writing the limericks together. And then out of the blue, he sent me a limerick just for me. And uh -huh. I sent him one back for him. Uh -huh. And then I sent one the next day and the next day. And then we both said, gee, wouldn't this be funny if we just did this every day? Aww. And so I write them. Uh, they're not limericks that I find. They're actually ones that I write. Uh -huh. And they're based on things that he and I have said or fantasies that we've shared or funny things that have gone on between us. And so they're very personal. Uh -huh. And I usually write them four or five at a time. And then I send him one every morning. Oh, so is it a way of saying hello or is it a way of keeping the spice in the relationship? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely a way of saying hello because I needed something that was light, something that would make us laugh and not be, hi, how are you this morning? Are you still in love with me? <laughs> or something like that that yeah. felt, felt wrong. But this was very fun. It was a way also, though, to express my affection for him and uh -huh. it makes both of us laugh. Would you be willing to read and we can decide what we can't or can air? Absolutely. I printed out several that I thought we could. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is one we had just gone to Florida. Uh -huh. And if you've been in the Everglades, you know that one of the birds there is the Anhinga bird. He said, I bet you can't write a limerick rhyming with Anhinga. <laughs> So that, was, oh. that was my challenge. So I wrote this one. I said, there are many a dramatic anhinga, drying its feathers like an operatic singa, wings so widespread like my legs in our bed, ready to have your sweet tongue cunnilinga. <laughs> you know what? That's like public radio limerick. <laughs> name of a bird, the technical term for a sex act. <laughs> oh, I want another one. Okay. Uh, these others aren't as, as, I wasn't as worried as the rest of these. Um, so sexy when you're brushing your teeth in the nude, your delicious body triggers my erotic attitude. 
Your gaze in the mirror is intensely focused. I'm caught in a state of deep hypnosis, knowing next comes the kisses to start a romantic interlude. Oh, that's sweet. So did you write limericks before you? No. <laughs> no. And did you ever sext before meeting no, this? No, I've never sexed with anybody. I guess when you think about traditional sexting, that has no interest for me. Uh -huh. that, that would turn me off, actually. <laughs> but the limericks, because they're written uh, with humor and they're, they are very, some of them are quite explicit uh -huh. with language that's quite explicit, uh -huh. but they're, they're better to me. And what have you learned about yourself I like being creative, so this is a great outlet for me to be creative. Initially, when he and I first started together and I was had all that anxiety, I was writing these poems that were very anxious and angst-filled, mm. and I didn't really like sharing those. I did share some of them with him, but I felt that I was stuck in a negative place. Mm -hmm. These helped me look at life lighter. And I want to look at life lighter because we're early in our relationship and it feels wrong to be angst ridden. Right. Before I was writing the limericks, we were probably emailing or texting maybe once or twice a week. Oh. And, and we're talking on the phone once or twice a week, not a lot. Yeah. And I think that was part of my anxiety was I felt there wasn't enough communication. Yeah. Now, what was interesting was that most of the time he would reply back within about an hour and say, ha ha, that was great. Or, or even just a few emojis. But there were a few times where he did not reply all day. Oh my gosh. And the third time he did that, I contacted him mid afternoon. And I said, you know what? I need you to reply. Even if it's just an emoji string, yeah. Because I put a lot of me into these limericks and I need to know that you've read them and have a response. And he, he acknowledged that and, and he's been yeah. doing that ever since. Do you think the limericks have helped you build the relationship or maintain the relationship or neither of the above? I think they've helped us build the relationship because he and I, it, we have a very strong sex relationship and the affection part is there, but that's also grown over the last year. And so I use the limericks in both capacities because some of the limericks are purely affectionate and not even sexual at all. Uh -huh. And it's just what I feel like writing and feel like sending him. We don't share these with anybody else. And even if I share a few with you, that's not the whole repertoire. Yeah. And it's very personal. And it's created a bond between us that we wouldn't have had otherwise. I am really intrigued with the idea of using my creative energy to write naughty limericks as a way to stay connected with somebody whom I love and trust. Anne found something she's comfortable doing. It's a little racy, but she wouldn't call it sexting. You know, it strikes me that one way to embrace our true selves is to reevaluate our framework. One person's sexting is another person's naughty limerick. Joni sees her bipolar brain as a gift 
It just needs managing. And Giselle found love when she learned to love herself. As for me, I understand now that just because some people may find me challenging and difficult does not mean I am challenging and difficult. I see myself as curious, creative, and tenacious. These character traits have led me to meet new people, try new things, write books and magazine articles, and make this show. Dating While Gray is produced by Ponzi Rutch, Patrick Fort, Ruth Tam, Julia Karen, and me, Laura Stasi. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt and Mike Kidd mixed this episode. WAMU's general manager is JJ Yore, and Andy McDaniel oversees everything we make here. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to datingwhilegray at wamu.org or follow us on Facebook. Search for Dating While Gray and like our Facebook page. Or you can see what I'm up to on Twitter, at Dating While Gray. And of course, leave us a voicemail, 202-895-GRAY, G-R-A-Y. Dating While Gray would not be possible without the support of WAMU's members. Support us right now with your donation at wamu.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more stories of Dating While Gray.